Prepare our hearts, O God, and help us to receive. Break the hard and stony ground and help our unbelief. Plant your word down deep in us and cause it to bear fruit. Open up our ears to hear. Lead us in your truth. Show us Christ. Show us Christ. O God, reveal your glory through the preaching of your word until every heart confesses that Christ is Lord. In Jesus Christ, the Lord's name. Amen. Amen. There's a quote that somebody said, and I want you to notice this irony. It's somebody, okay? Somebody said, I want to be a somebody. I always wanted to be a somebody, but now I see I should have been a little more specific. Um, Alice in Wonderland, the famous line is where Alice gets to this fork in the road, and she's not sure which road to take. And she sees this cat, the Cheshire cat. And uh, Alice asks this cat, which way ought I to go from here? So the cat says, well, that depends on a great deal where you want to go. And Alice says, I don't much care where. And the cat says, well, if you don't know where you want to go, any road can take you there. I think the question that we want to ask for ourselves as a church is, who are we, why are we here, where do we want to go? So we want to look at this uh, sermon series called Our Church Distinctives. We'll do them in blocks and through the rest of the year. But today we want to look at the centrality of Christ. The centrality of Christ. You will see it all laid out on our website. We will go through that sequentially. That's the idea. But the first thing, the first thing that we want to cover is the centrality of of Christ. So the first question we need to ask is what does that distinctive mean? What is distinctive? What is it? Right? It's the DNA, if you would. Like every family is unique and church is unique. And it's got its own character. Uh, distinctives answers the question what is it that we believe? What is it that we teach? What are our key convictions? Distinctiveness. When we talk about um, Distinctiveness. there are two important things that we need to keep in mind. The first thing is not we asking what is it that we need to do, but ask the question, what is it that God wants us to do? Right? So indistinctive, in, in being who we are as a church, we want to know what is it that God wants us to do, and we get that in his word. And for example, today's distinctive, when I said it's the centrality of Christ, it's the passage that we're going to be looking at in Colossians chapter 1, 15 or 20. But in verse 18, this is what it says. He says, he is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn of all creation of, from the dead, that in everything that he might be preeminent, that Jesus Christ would be preeminent in everything. And it would be so even in our church. And, and the second thing that we need to understand when we talk about distinctiveness is that there are many local expressions. And, and that's the beauty of the church, that we are not clones of the other. There are 
distinctions. And, and so when we talk about distinction, there are two things that we can keep in mind about these, uh, uh, about these distinctions of the local church, is that there are negotiables and then there are non-negotiables. The non-negotiables are the principles, what Bible tells us, and that's non-negotiable. But the practices of that, how it plays out sometimes, are the negotiables, and that may vary, listen to this, specific practices may vary across geography, culture, and time, but the biblical principle must always remain the same. All right, so uh, how do you understand distinctive? When you talk about distinctiveness, so what is dis distinctives? It's the universal marks that sets the church of Jesus Christ apart from the rest and yet demonstrates a local expression without losing integrity and testimony. Let me explain that. It's saying that if you take a local church, there's something about this local church that sets it apart from everything else, and yet the flavor of that local church would very uh, not, not be exactly the clone of another local church at another place. And so in trying to understand what this distinctive, uh, distinctiveness is, it'll be good for us to go through each of that so that we know who we are and you know, wh why we believe what we believe. So the first one today is, I said, about the centrality of Jesus Christ, that we will be a Christ-exalting, a God-glorifying church. Christ-exalting, God-glorifying church, and this is a non-negotiable distinctive. There's no negotiation in this, that in our church, we will exalt Christ in his greatness, in his majesty. We will have this high view of God, the high view of God. So having said that, would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1? I'm going to read from verse 15 to verse 20. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This passage is simply poetry. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he just burst forth into into a poem, into a poetry. That's what this is about. And, and what he's talking here is about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ so that we would have no doubt about who uh, Jesus Christ is. But what I want to do is I want us to first look at what God's word has to say about his supremacy, the seven things that come out here, and then we'll look at what that means to us, right? So the first thing I want you to look at is in verse 15, that he is the image of God. He is the image of God. It talks about the 
perfectness of his being. You see, he's the image of God. Not that we were made in his image, but he is the image. He is the perfect representation as we read in Hebrews 1.3. What that means is that he is distinct in person, but same in being. He begins right by saying Jesus Christ is God. The image of the invisible God. He makes God visible. Supreme. There's no one else like him. Look again in the latter part of verse 15. That he's the firstborn over all creation. It talks about his preeminence over creation. I know sometimes we think firstborn over creation. What does that mean? Was he the one who was born first? No. You see, the Jews had no problem understanding what Paul was saying here because they recognized that this is a title of supremacy because later he goes on to say that all things were created by him. So it means that he is supreme over all creation. His preeminence over creation, that he is the sovereign one over creation. Verse 16 and 17, that goes on to explain that he is the creator of the universe. It talks about his power and about his purpose. It it says that all things were made through him and for him. He is the creator made through him and for him. He is the cause and he is the reason. Nothing exists without him causing it to come, and nothing exists except for him. He is the reason. And having said that, he gets to verse 18, where we see that he is the head of the church. Talks about his personhood. I just love the expression, the imagery that you have. This imagery of the head and the body is not given for any other relationship except that of Christ and of the church. It's an intimate relationship. It talks about the uniqueness of his relationship. And then it goes on to say in verse 18, the firstborn from the dead. Not just the firstborn over all creation, but he is also the firstborn over the dead. That his, the, talks to us about the power of his resurrection. That he who rose again in in, in that glorious body, in that resurrection, that he is supreme, he is unique. The firstborn from the dead. Then in verse 19 it says that he he is the fullness of God. The fullness of God, it, it pleased for the fullness of God to dwell In him, Warren Wiersbe has this to say, the sum total of all the divine power and attribute. The fullness of God. You see that word dwell means to reside permanently. That is, at no point in time was he not God. I want you to understand that. Jesus Christ, the image of of the invisible God. He, it's his essential being. You cannot have Christ. You cannot have Jesus Christ without him being God. And then in verse 20, he says he's the reconciler of all things. Only God can reconcile us to himself. And he reconciles all things. We read that in verse 20. So 
just in that passage, Bible wants us to know that he is a supreme one, that there should be no doubt in anybody's mind about who he is. The supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. So the question then is, what does that mean to us? And what's the implication? Therefore, we want to go back to that verse 18. For he is the head of the body, the church, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. The headship of Christ. And so if Jesus Christ is the head of the church, that must mean something to us. And so what, what I want to spend some time looking in is the six implications and the six applications as a result of his headship over us as a church. The six applications. And the first thing is if headship, if he is the head that Headship implies glory. The glory. The, the, there is no one, nothing about he, he is the one. It implies glory. In Ephesians chapter 3.21, it says, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus and to all things and to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Headship implies glory. Right? So the first thing headship implies Glory. I want you to understand. So when you say head, it means glory. You see, so if he, if he is the head and if it implies glory, the first thing I want us to understand is that it must be about his glory alone, that we will not share, that this glory will not be shared or even exchanged. In Romans 1, we read that it, they exchanged God's glory. A head, headship implies glory and that we will not share it with anything else. I mean, it's the time of the Olympics, right? The Winter Olympics. And so what happens now is, you know, whether it's the hockey or whether any of those, um, uh, you know, sports that ha that's happening. So let's say it's the skiing. So the guy uses the power of his tie and whatever it be, and, and he, he, he gets this gold medal. And he gets onto that podium. And then he puts his leg out because it was his leg that caused him to get the medal. No, the medal goes where? Around the neck. The head receives the glory. I want you to understand this. This, this is important for us to recognize when we speak about head, it speaks about glory. That we will not share this glory or distribute it or exchange it for anything else or anyone else. It belongs to Jesus Christ alone. Headship of Jesus Christ. So it's important that we ask this question, since, since Christ is central to our church, am I truly seeking the glory of Christ? Am I saying that he alone must be glorified in our lives, in everything that I say or do? That if I dig a little deeper beneath the veneer, that everything I say, yeah, I want to do for the glory of God, but when I dig a little deeper, I, I see my selfish reason for doing things. May it not be that. That he alone would be the reason we do what we do. In Romans 11.36 it says, For from him and through him and to him 
are all things to him be glory forever and ever. So the first thing when we talk about headship, headship is about what? About glory. All right. The second thing I want us to understand when we talk about headship, it's about sovereignty. Sovereignty. The difference is now when you talk about the head of state, right? And the head of state is the one who is the executive head. We use the word head, head of state. And so this is about sovereignty. And so if headship speaks about sovereignty, that he is the ruler, he is the executive head, that we must be his subjects. We are subject to him. It is him we serve. And so Colossians chapter 3 verse 17 says, For whatever you do in word or deed or do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That he is the sovereign one. And he is the one who we serve. You see, a headship, when we talk about headship, it, it means and implies that we as a church are not a social club. Now I want to contrast this. I want you to understand what, I, what I'm saying about this. You see, because a social club the reason we come together is because I want to satisfy a need in me. I want, I'm joining that club because of something that I want, to, I want to satisfy. And so that contrasts completely uh, with a local church because in a local church we come not to serve ourselves, but we come to serve each other. And in that we might be served uh, our needs may be met through, but the essence is so that we can come to serve. First Peter four ten. If somebody can turn to First Peter four ten and read that, that'll be great. First Peter four ten. It gives us the essence of who we are as a church. So we have got those gifts that we serve others. And when we talk about the centrality of Christ, listen, this is, this is great, right? I mean, why did Christ come? Why did Christ say he came? He came so that he would to serve and not to be served. And so if Christ is going to be central to us, we say we come to serve and not to be served because there is this essential uh, uh, th this essence of selfishness in us that we want to be served mostly. And, and the thing about this, about the selfishness of serving ourselves is that it leaves us empty. The greatest joy is when we serve others. In the centrality of Christ, we say that he is a sovereign one and we come to serve him. And so since Christ is central to our church, we ask this question, am I serving his people? Third, so the first one is headship implies glory. Second, it implies sovereignty. And third, it implies relationship. It implies relationship. It is about a person. You see, when you say a head, there must be a body. This body cannot survive without the head. 
It speaks about intimacy. It just, you know, people ask, why are there four Gospels? You know, the narratives of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because we get to understand Jesus for who he is through, through all of those things that he does and how he interacts and how he has compassion and how he heals and how he grieves. I get to know my Jesus. There is this relationship, this, this intimacy. And so listen to this. Christ being the head relates to the heart of the people. This, this headship of Christ connects with my heart. And so if it is about love, if it is about if it is about the uh, about the sovereignty, it's about the relationship, then I cannot offer a mechanical response to my love. You see, I cannot, if, if I were to just buy flowers for my wife once every Valentine and that's it, if I checked off and I said, yeah, I've done that, I would not have much of a relationship. And so if we treat our relationship with Christ as like this divine checklist that, that I check off, then there's a problem. It's not a relationship. That I grow to love this person, I know who he is, and I, 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 I connect with him at that level. That's what a head ought to be. And so I have to ask myself this question. If Christ is central to our church, am I keeping my relationship with Christ alive both in my individual life and in the corporate life? Do I have this active relationship with Jesus Christ? The Lord was not kidding Peter. In John chapter 13, when, when the Lord was about to wash the feet of Peter, and Peter says, no, you can't wash my feet, and he says, well, then you don't have a part with me. He, he, he wasn't kidding. Peter, he wasn't kidding Peter. What was happening here is Christ was saying this need for active fellowship and this living communion with Christ is important because if you are a body, then this body must be connected with the head and must have some relationship. That's what the centrality of Christ is about. But if headship implies we are his body, then, then we must recognize that we are the tangible expression or we are the visible expression of Jesus Christ. If Christ is in heaven, the head is in heaven and the body is on earth, they get to see who Christ is by looking at the body. I mean, this is, this is a couple of years ago before uh, Jerry and Zoe and Sunaina left. And Zoe had come home. She must have been about two and a half. I forget exactly how old she was. And she wanted to play hide and seek. So I'm counting, and she goes and hides her head under the cushion. <laughs> but think about it. Think about it. Just because the head is head, but the body reveals who and where she is, is exactly how we as a local church are, aren't we? Christ is head to the world. 
But then this local church is the one that makes Christ visible to the world. The relationship. The relationship. Would you turn to second, or let me just read that to you. Second Corinthians 2.15. This is beautiful verse that you can, you know, uh, highlighted and remember Second Corinthians two fifteen that we are to diffuse the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. We are to diffuse. We are to spread out. We are to put out. It's like that spray that you have after you do your cooking. You spray constantly to you know to mask that other flavor to get this one up. We diffuse the the uh, the knowledge of Him in every place. We as a local church, we as individuals, diffuse the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. And if headship implies we are his body, this church and this and Christ cannot be separated. Right? The body, we kept saying that the body cannot exist without the head. And Matthew 16, I, I love the sequence at, at which it's laid out. The Lord Jesus Christ asks his disciples, and Peter responds. He says, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you are, the, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And two verses down, this is what the Lord tells, saying, Saying that, saying that I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, this truth that he said, that I will build a church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, the identity of Jesus Christ was just revealed, and there you have now the entity of the church being revealed. Church cannot exist without Christ. And at any point in time, we as a local church, if we were to forget, or if we were to minimize, or if you were to exchange his glory, give away in any part, then we would have lost what is it that God's word is telling us to remember. The, the, uh, the identity of Christ cannot be separated from the entity of the church. The other thing that I want you to understand is that if headship implies the body, then we cannot be mere collection of individuals. So what I mean by that is sometimes you call those associations a body, right? A group of people coming together, you call that a body. No, as a church, we are a corporate body. We relate to each other. We, it's the greatest privilege. We come together as individuals to Christ, but he puts us as a member of the body. We are one in him. Listen to what Jonathan Parnell has to say. The local church is the greatest, the most profound collective of which any human could be a part. Your family, your career, your nationality, all these pale in comparison. That we cannot have a freelance Christianity. If somebody says, you know what, I'm a Christian and that's it. I'm, I'm going to relate to Christ and myself then you've forgotten what God is intending for you because the body, listen to this, body that which issues with the resurrection of Jesus Christ reverses the spirit of independence. And so what that means is, you see, when Christ who says, I'm the firstborn from the dead, 
the body, he says, is the head of the body, the church, the firstborn from the dead. Having said that, what, is, what he's saying is, I have lost my independence in Christ Jesus. And I have a responsibility to the rest of the body. And that's what a body is, Right? And so when we talk about a body, it also implies that there is accountability and discipline. Accountability and discipline. That means I, I, I can't do as I please. It's interesting in, sorry, in Matthew 18, when the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about this reconciliation and discipline, he says he is there in the midst. He's in, the, he's in the central, the centrality of Christ, even in this reconciliation and in discipline. So I need to ask this question. If Christ is central to our church, am I behaving like a member of the body of Christ? Am I behaving like a member of the body of Christ? Listen to this, 1 Corinthians twelve twelve. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Well, Paul is saying, just, just like us, right? We've got different members, and yet we are one body, just like that is, is how Christ is. When we are his body, we might be different members, but we are one in his body. And this local church is that visible manifestation of this body of Christ. Listen to what Martin Luther has to say. Apart from the church, salvation is impossible. It seems like a very bold statement. Apart from the church, salvation is impossible. And then he goes on to say, not that the church provides salvation, God does. But because the saved one cannot fulfill what it means to be a Christian apart from the church, being part of a local church becomes the indispensable mark of salvation. What he was saying is that God gives you salvation, but because you are saved, you are now part of the church. And being part of the church, being part of the local church, you see, because we might tend to say, you know, I'm part of the universal church. But in that, there is no accountability, there's no discipline, no nothing at all. It has to be in this visible local church. And that becomes the evidence of your salvation. I, I was thinking about this, and I said, wow, this, this imagery of the, bi of, of the body is a difficult imagery. Because how you know, for me to be one in a bo in body, I must be crucified. I, in my own self, my desire, my needs are so contrary to the needs of the body that if I don't crucify myself, if I'm not crucified, there's no way I can be having that sense of unity. There are a thousand and one ways we will say no to our own desires. And so in you know, as the natural self fights this form of accountability and discipline, God says, you are one in the body. Now, the fifth one is, headship implies unity and growth. 
unity and growth. When you say he, he is head over us, there is this unity, but there's also this growth. Listen to what John 17, 23. It might be good if you turn to that, John 17, 23, because this is a very powerful verse of the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ because it says if, if headship implies unity, then the world will know Christ through us. The world will know Christ through us because of our unity. John 17 is the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ, the high priestly prayer. And this is what we read here in 23. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. You see, the world is going to look at this unity and say there's something about this that is so divine that they will know the Lord Jesus Christ is the one and that you love them as much as you love me. Body and the head as the Lord Jesus Christ as the head means unity. Christ is the unifying one. He's the one who unifies. There's nothing in us and so, you know, if I'm walking around and uh, if parts of my body fall off, my hands fall off, my legs fall off, I hope you'll do something. You've, I hope you'll come and take me to the hospital. And so when parts of body <laughs> drops off or whatever, the urge, the concern to say, let's come alongside, and there's something wrong, we need to work, and that, that, that's what it is. You see, we cannot be a church with cerebral palsy. We cannot be ones who are disjointed with no connection. We, the headship of Christ means that we are one and united. And the headship of Christ implies growth, and it's that that we grow through speaking truth in love. We read in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, that we grow in conformity to him. And so I ask myself if Christ is central to our church, am I eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit? In Ephesians 4.3, it says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This eagerness, and I recognize that if it's, it's in unity that the world is going to see Christ, that Christ is going to be made visible, that he is going to be the central one. That in this body, when I talk about the body, you see the, the communion that I have with, with, the head, with the head is the communion that I enjoy with his people. You see, because of the centrality of Christ, the outworking, one of the outworkings is that we have this communion every Sunday. We have the bread and the wine. Now, if we were to reduce this bread and wine as just something that we partake and we say, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with, with God, and, and, and that's, that's what it is, then we've forgotten because, you know, we, we read when the Lord Jesus Christ said that if you bring a gift to the altar and you've got something against your brother, leave the gift there and go. There is this reconciliation with the brother that's essential before you can get to God. You see, in communion, I want you to understand, we don't do it like 
you know, other faith where I can go at any time, pick up whatever may be offered to the gods and just come away. We do it in a community because the essence of communion is community. That I have this communion with each of you and, and with God. That's the beauty of this expression called the body of Christ. And so that he is glorified in our midst. But I also want you to understand that this headship represents victory because if he is the head, and our head is the victor, what the head has, um, uh, you see, we, we, what the head receives, the body experiences. See, when the medal goes around the neck, the whole body rejoices. We read in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. And so we ask, since Christ is central to our church, am I living in that victory with that eager expectation for that glory to be manifest in us? You see, when, when, we, when we work together, when we are at our workplace or wherever, we, 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 you know, we tend to forget that, our, uh, that Christ is the victorious one. This is a good reminder as we come together and encourage each other that we are part of the victory team, that he is the victorious one. He's the firstborn from the dead, and it's not too long before he will raise us into, uh, in our glorious body to be with him and to be conformed to be with him. And so what's impossible for the world is possible for us because he's the victorious one. And it's only possible because he is central to who we are, that he alone would be glorified, that he alone is the sovereign one, that he alone, listen to this, is the one who, with whom we have this relationship and that we live in a life that, that shows who we belong to. And that we will live in a way that will strive for the spirit of unity and of growth. I want to close, and I'll be past the time, but I want to close by going back to that verse, to that passage that we read about the supremacy of Christ. That we will do all things. We will be in any which way. And that we'll hold each other accountable that he alone will be glorified in our midst. Look at his deity. He is the image of the invisible God. Look at his authority over all creation. He is the firstborn of all creation. All that is created, all rulers, all thrones and dominions, all rulers and authorities are, are created by him. There is nothing that can do anything except if he allows and it's through him and for him. Look at his sustenance. In, in him, all things hold together. And in, in the supremacy over the church, he is the head over the, over, over the body, the church. In his resurrection, the supremacy, he is the beginning. Uh, he is the firstborn from the dead, the first to raise to glorious body. In his completeness, we saw that he is supreme. The fullness of God was, 
would dwell in him. That he alone would bring our reconciliation. There is a quote from Abraham Kuyper. I, I just love it. It says, there is no one square inch over which Christ says mine. There is no square inch over which Christ does not say, right, I got that wrong, so I, I read that, you know what I meant. There's no square inch over which Christ does not say it is mine. And I pray, I pray that in this church we can have with joy, as all of us to say with that joy, that there is no square inch over which Christ will not be able to say, that's mine. He'll be glorified. And that in his glory, we will find our greatest satisfaction. Would you rise with me as I pray for all of us? Father God, we come here as, as your blood-bought people. The visible manifestation of your body, of the Lord Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. What a privilege you've given us, Lord. What a privilege that we should be called your body. And what a challenge, what stewardship that we have that we would now represent your Son to this community, to each other, to our families, Lord, in all which way we pray that in everything that we do that you will remain central, that there would be no space, no square inch over which you were, you're not able to lay claim of your authority. No selfishness, no pride, no nothing of us, Lord, nothing of us. We pray that we be so joined together to, to grow into Christ. Lord, that, that we, would be, we would impact people for eternity because as, uh, that the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ would be fulfilled in us, that you, we, would be, we would be brought into such perfect unity that they would know, the world would know that you uh, that, that, you, uh, that you were sent by the Father and that the Father loves us as the as Father loved the Son. May that be true for, for all of us, Lord. And we pray that if in any which way we have sinned, we have fallen short, Lord, would you, Lord, would, would you help, would you turn this, Lord, to, 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 to your glory? And as, as we read and in Corinthians, Lord, that, that we will diffuse the fragrance of your knowledge to every place, everywhere we go, and even in this community. We thank you, Lord, for, for making us this, this body, this local expression here as one. And we pray, Lord, that us together will bring you much joy. We ask and thank all this, knowing, Lord, that you will answer this because we have offered this uh, in your will, for your glory, and in the name of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, and all, all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated.